hoping this is on. Is that all right? Sounds good? Okay, good. Oh, thank you. Uh, a couple of announcements. Uh, some of you already uh, know this, but not everybody knows this. Uh, well, Steve Joss is here. Welcome back, Brother Steve. It is good. We have missed you. We've been following your adventures in Israel. Um, he's a student uh, at, at university in Israel, and he's back home, I guess, for a number of months. Five months. Okay, so enjoy him now while you can get him. Uh, five months here, you can visit him over in Israel uh, a little bit later. Jack Bowman was born on Tuesday. He's a very large and very beautiful baby. Uh, I would say he's an above average baby. Very good looking, so make sure that you visit with the Bowmans. Uh, mother is fine. Uh, uh, Eric's a wreck, but you know, everything else looks really, really terrific there. So we'll be looking forward to seeing that uh, baby uh, here uh, here in church pretty soon. Um, I spoke to you some while ago about Andrew Brunson, who is uh, one of our EPC um, missionaries. He's been in Turkey for about 30 years as a pastor of a small church there. And following the recent coup uh, in Turkey, he was swept up and thrown into jail without charge. And so he's been in jail for, I think it's, well, when did the coup happen? I don't remember. But, you know, in months he's been in jail. Um, the church has been working through diplomatic channels to try to get high-level official attention to his case and to get him released and get him back to the United States. Um, the the president and the vice president raised uh, the issue of Andrew Brunson with the president of Turkey who was visiting uh, recently uh, in Washington. Um, but however, there has been uh, really bad news subsequent to that visit. And so let me read you part of a letter that we got from uh, Jeff Jeremiah, who's the stated clerk of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. We had been encouraged by the news earlier in the week that President Trump and Vice President Pence ur urged um, the president of Turkey to release Andrew Brunson. However, I'm disheartened to tell you that apparently the Turkish response to that meeting on Tuesday is a statement of significant accusation against Andrew. Turkish media is reporting today that Andrew is being accused of being a Kurdish sympathizer and a Gulenist. These are serious charges and Andrew needs our prayers more than ever. The leading English language news outlet in Turkey reported that prosecutors are citing Brunson for, quote, delivering sermons to the Kurds with a, quote, special purpose. This seems to imply that they believe Andrew has expressed support for an ethnic group that Turkey is currently waging a military campaign against. The Kurds are a minority group in Turkey and for many years have pressed for more Autonomy. I cannot stress enough how significant these accusations are. In fact, the Turkish government views them as nothing less than treason. Friends, it is time to redouble our prayer effort. Please take time in your worship service this weekend to plead with the Lord on Andrew's behalf. Also, uh, please make the members of your congregation aware of this unfortunate turn in Andrew's situation. So let us gather our hearts together in prayer. Gracious and almighty God, you are the eternal Lord and your truth is everlasting. Your mercy endures forever. 
Jesus prayed to you as a son to a father and he taught us to pray to you in the same way. And so we come to you this morning in trust and in confidence and we ask that you would incline your ear toward us. Lord, this morning we do pray for Andrew Brunson and we ask for his safety. We pray that he would be released from prison and returned to his family. Lord, we do pray for the president of Turkey that you would soften his heart. We pray for that nation that is living uh, under siege during these days. We pray that uh, you would allow Christians in that country to worship freely, to move about freely. We do ask for your intervention in this case, um, and we pray that you would bring Andrew home. Lord, we do pray for the ministry of our own church. We pray for those who lead us here, for our elders, for our staff. We pray for those who conduct the Christian education ministry here, the burning bush and the nursery. We thank you for this appeal for more and more volunteers because we have more and more children showing up. We ask your blessing upon Elder Jeff Kaler, who oversees the ministry, for Susan Clark, who provides the staff leadership, for the many volunteers who make our programs hum week by week for your glory. Bless them and keep them and guide them, we pray. Lord God, we ask that you would bless the peoples of the earth, for these people are yours, for people who believe and people who doubt, for people who find faith natural and easy, and for people who find it a struggle, for people who seem to know the truth simply, and for those who fight against it, grant all of us the perseverance that we might press on in our pilgrimage toward you. Lord God, we pray that you would bless our nation, that you would make us as a nation Conscious of the burdens and the responsibilities that we we bear. We pray that you would give us wisdom and the use of our wealth. We pray that you would give us purity and the use of our freedoms. We pray that you would give us justice in the administration of law. Oh God and Father, we bless you for our parents, for our mothers and our fathers who have been and are a treasure to us for parents who have nurtured us and trained us. We pray for each of us and for our parents, remembering in the quiet of our hearts their individual needs. All of these prayers and favors we present to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who is our great high priest. We present these prayers in his name. And we pray together as he taught us all to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Our New Testament reading this morning is from the Gospel of John. I will read in chapter 12 from verse 37 through the end of the chapter. John 12, 37 through verse 50. Hear the word of God.
Though Jesus had done many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my word has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father told me. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now this might seem a little crazy, and it might seem contrary to everything our culture teaches us and everything our instincts want, but I am convinced that it would be a tremendous blessing for us to have an encounter with God that scares the living bejabbers out of us. I'm talking about wide-eyed, jelly-kneed, jaw-dropping terror. The kind of fear that comes when you're about to die. I'm convinced that it would be a tremendous blessing for us. Now, I am not an adrenaline junkie. I do not enjoy being scared. I don't watch horror movies. I don't read Stephen King. I don't enjoy roller coasters. I've never jumped out of a plane. And my children know that if they jump out from behind a chair and shout boo, that I will not be amused. But I am convinced that it would be a tremendous blessing for us to have an encounter with God that scares the living bejabbers out of us. I'm convinced that a holy terror goes a long way to settling our nerves in other situations that are actually much less threatening. And if the consistent witness of Scripture can be trusted, if the consistent witness of the Bible from Genesis through Revelation is telling the truth, and I'm staking my life and eternity on the fact that it is, then holy terror is always and immediately combined with a peace that passes understanding. With the word from the Lord, do not be afraid, for I am with you. I don't know 
why those two things go together? Terror and reassurance. But that's what we see over and over again in the scriptures in account after account of encounters with the living God over the course of many centuries. To one degree or another, all of us move through life avoiding situations that scare us. Some people are relatively fearless and go many places boldly. That's my daughter Rosie. Others are so paralyzed by anxiety that they're unable to lead normal lives. I think all of us feel that way sometimes. But whether we're brave or timid, we all have minefields that are in our lives that we tiptoe around. And I believe that if we were to have a terrifying encounter with the living God, the things in this life that give us the shakes will seem less threatening. And God's reassurance of his supporting, protecting, loving, blessing presence with us will give us the courage and the confidence to face whatever this life can throw at us. In our Old Testament and our New Testament readings this morning, we have two accounts of people doing the wrong thing because they are more afraid of people than they're afraid of God. And so in this morning's sermon, I want to review those two accounts, and then I want to reflect on holy terror and the fear of God, and finally I want to talk about how that awesome, overwhelming, terrifying experience of God's presence brings with it an assurance and a peace that leaves us rock solid in even the most frightening situations. In other words, a big fear of God, a holy terror, makes the little fears of this life much less threatening. Okay, let's begin with the two stories of people doing the wrong thing because they're more afraid of people than they're afraid of God. In our reading from 1 Samuel, we have the story of King Saul in uh, and the war with the Amalekites. The Amalekites were enemies of Israel, and so God told King Saul, the very first king of the Israelites, to go to war against these people. For reasons that we don't know, God tells King Saul to kill all of the Amalekites and then to destroy everything that they own, their houses, their jewelry, their treasures, and all of their farm animals. In those days, soldiers who won a battle expected to take and to keep all of the stuff owned by the people who lost the battle. I guess that's how soldiers were paid in those days. When soldiers came home after winning a battle, they would come home carrying bags of loot. They would be carrying the armor and the weapons of the defeated enemy. They would be come home leading flocks of farm animals, goats and sheep and oxen of the people they had defeated. But God said to King Saul, when you go into battle against the Amalekites, I want you to destroy everything. I don't want you to bring home any loot. Just destroy it all and walk away. And so off King Saul and his soldiers go into battle and they are victorious. Samuel, who was the prophet in the land at that time, went out to meet King Saul and his men as they're coming home from battle. And what did the prophet hear as the soldiers approached but the bleeding of sheep and the lowing of oxen? Sure enough, 
King Saul and the soldiers who were told to destroy everything were bringing home spoils of war. The prophet Samuel went up to King Saul and said, Why did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why is it that we sometimes do the things that we know that we shouldn't do? In this case, King Saul did it because he was afraid. He was afraid of his own soldiers. He was more afraid of his soldiers than he was afraid of God. In 1 Samuel 15, 24, King Saul says to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Sometimes a leader should not obey the voice of the people. King Saul and his men won the battle. King Saul knew that God said to not bring home any loot, but the soldiers were used to carrying off spoils after battle. And so they probably said to King Saul, Oh, come on, king. Let us have some loot. It's ours. We fought hard for this. It's not fair that we can't bring home some booty. Look at all these beautiful oxen and sheep. And Saul gives in. Maybe Saul was afraid of his own army. They had weapons after all. Maybe he was afraid that they would turn on him. Whatever the reason, what we know is that Saul did the exact thing that he knew that he shouldn't do. And he did it because he was afraid of people. He said, I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Shyness, peer pressure. People-pleasing, codependencies. These are ways that we exhibit our fear of other people. Fear about what they think of us. Fear of what they might say about us. Fear that they might not love us. Fear, in some cases, of what they might do to us. I feared the people and obeyed their voices. King Saul knew what he was supposed to do, but he caved in to fear. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever known exactly what you need to do in a certain circumstance, but you're hanging out with your friends and they've got some other ideas and so you go along with what they say? Has that ever happened to you? It certainly happened to me plenty of times. A lot of sin happens because of peer pressure and codependency because we're afraid to not go along with people because we're afraid of upsetting someone who looms very large in our lives. Lots of times we do the wrong things because we want to please people and we want to win their approval. It's not that we don't know what we should do, but we feel this pressure to conform. We don't want to rock the boat. We want to go along and get along. It's not that we don't know the right course of action, but we want people to think well of us. We want people to love us. And so we make compromises. In Saul's case, because he listened to these people rather than listening to God, God withdrew his support of Saul's reign. In 1 Samuel 15.35, we read, The Lord regretted... That he had made Saul king over over Israel. The Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. When I read a sentence like that, I have to wonder how many times God has regretted backing me. That's a very sobering sentence for anyone 
in leadership. Dear God, please keep me from doing anything that would make you regret and trusting me with this ministry. King Saul caved in to the pressure from his army. And God took the kingship away from him and away from his family. And he gave it to some unknown shepherd named David. And so, in Saul's case, it would have been a tremendous blessing to him if he had had a bigger fear of God than he had of his own men. It would have been a blessing to Saul if he had a wide-eyed, jelly-kneed, jaw-dropping, holy terror. It would have been a blessing to him if he had had an encounter with God that scared the living bejabbers out of him. Because if he had had that kind of fear of God, The threats from his men would have seemed like nothing. A healthy fear of God gives us some perspective on other fears we have in this life. But a healthy fear of God also brings with it a tremendous peace and confidence. We'll talk more about that in a minute. In our reading from the Gospel of John, we encounter the fear of some people who believe in Jesus but were afraid to let anyone else know. Here's what we read in verses 42 and 43. Many of the authorities believed in Jesus, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Here we see a perfect example of fear as the root of people-pleasing. These unnamed authorities are afraid of the Pharisees because they want, what they want is glory that comes from man. What they want is for people to praise them and to say how wonderful they are. And so they kowtow to the Pharisees even they, even though they know that it's wrong. They keep their mouths shut about Jesus because they know that there would be a price to pay if they were to support him publicly. That price would include scorn, of course, But it would also include expulsion from the synagogue, which was the epicenter of power in the Jewish community. Getting kicked out of the synagogue was like being excommunicated from church, and there's only one church in town. That plus having your membership at the country club revoked. Coming out of the closet for Jesus was social suicide. But the people that John mentions, they're in a funny position because they do believe in Jesus They just don't believe enough to face the scorn of the world. They don't believe enough to be willing to give up the glory that comes from being in thick with the Pharisees. Now, contrast the fear of these people pleasing codependent authorities with what the oh-so-scary Pharisees say about Jesus. In Matthew 22, 16, the Pharisees say to Jesus, Teacher... We know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God according to the truth. You are not swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. The Pharisees may have been difficult characters, but they put their finger on an important truth here. To be a person of integrity, we need to speak the truth and not be swayed by the people we're talking to. When we are too worried about what people will think of us, when we go into our people-pleasing, codependent mode, 
We talk one way to one group and another way to another group trying to say all the things that we think will please whoever's listening to us. How exhausting that has to be. How lacking in integrity. So let's talk a little bit about this holy terror. And then I want to talk about how the fear of the Lord is joined with peace and with confidence in living. I began this sermon by saying that it might seem crazy, it might seem contrary to everything <coughs> the culture teaches. And that our instincts demand. But I am convinced <coughs> that it... I am convinced that my voice is not going to give out. I am convinced that it would be a tremendous blessing for us to have an encounter with God that scares the living bejabbers out of us. The Bible describes a number of encounters between people and God. And one of the features of all of these encounters is fear and awe and holy terror. Let me mention just a few. Isaac has a dream at a place called Bethel and he sees in this dream a stairway to heaven with angels walking up and down. And when Isaac wakes up from this dream, Genesis twenty-eight seventeen says, he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Now, awesome is a good translation of the Hebrew there, but awesome, unfortunately, in English is a bit of a damaged word, and it doesn't have much to do with awe anymore. I think that my tie is awesome, but it doesn't really inspire awe. Other translations of the Hebrew word include dreadful, fearful, and terrifying. Isaac had a terrifying, awesome dream. We've all had dreams like that where we sit bolt upright in our bed. In this dream, Isaac had some kind of encounter with God and it was terrifying. That's a holy terror. In Judges chapter 13, we have the story of an angel appearing disguised as a man telling the childless mother of Samson that she's going to have a son. And later, Samson's mother and father offer a sacrifice to God. And this angel flies up into the flame that's on the altar. Very strange. And Samson's father says, we're doomed to die, for we've seen God. That's a holy terror. Mark chapter 4 tells the story of Jesus and the disciples in... The boat crossing the Sea of Galilee when a storm blows up and threatens to sink the boat. And all the while, Jesus is sleeping. And the disciples wake Jesus up and he rebukes the storm. And the wind ceases and the waters go flat as glass. Verse 41 says, the disciples were terrified. Not of the storm, but of the flat water. The disciples were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. That's a holy terror. These three encounters with Almighty God, and the Bible describes many others, maybe you remember some of them. These three encounters with Almighty God are terrifying, they're awesome, they're frightful. 
When we get a little peek at who God is, it's liable to blow our minds. He's so amazing that we don't even know how to make sense of him. We don't even have the words to describe it. But here's the interesting thing, and I can't explain it. While the presence of God is terrifying, awesome, and frightful, that divine presence is simultaneously a source of peace and security. I'm sure you all remember the very first thing that angels would say to people when they encounter them, you know, when they come up on Mary and Martha and so many other people in Scripture. The first things they say is, do not be afraid. Yes, the presence of the divine is fearful, it's terrifying, it's spine-tingling, it's hair-raising, it's awesome, but that presence always comes with these words, do not be afraid. God speaking to Joshua as the Israelites are about to enter into the promised land, a land filled with giants that they're going to have to overcome. And God says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. King David in Psalm 118 says, the Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Isaiah 41.10, God speaking to the Israelites while they're still in exile. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Hebrews 13.5 and 6 has a, a word for those of us who worry about money. We read, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you nor forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. On the one hand, the presence of God is shocking. It's terrifying. But on the other hand, that presence brings with it security and comfort and peace. Here's the upshot. If we have a clear and authentic encounter with God, if we experience His presence, two things will happen to us. First, our hair will stand up on the back of our necks, our spines will tingle, our knees might grow weak. We'll have an experience of awe and holy terror and Second, we will experience the peace and the confidence that comes from knowing that God is with us, that God is our protector, and that God is our provider. I am convinced that it would be a tremendous blessing for us to have an encounter with God that scares the living bejabbers out of us. I'm convinced of that because I know that that holy terror comes with God's peace. The clearer view we have of God, the deeper our encounter with God is, the less fear we have of other people and of our circumstances. Firstly, those people and those circumstances don't seem anywhere so awesome and fearful as God himself. In Matthew chapter 10, We read about Jesus sending out his disciples. It's kind of a missionary training exercise. This is, this is before his crucifixion and all of that. He's training them how to be missionaries and he sends them out and he says to them, you know, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. In other words, this is going to be dangerous. 
And then in verse 28, Jesus says, Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one, and here he's talking about God, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Yow! Even tough old John Calvin in his commentary on that passage said that it made his hair stand on end. A holy fear of God makes people, even those who have power to kill our bodies, seem less fearsome. And secondly, having that holy fear reminds us of God's life-giving, life-preserving, life-directing presence in our lives. His ability to protect us and provide for us no matter what fearful circumstance might come against us. Proverbs 10, uh, Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But I think we can also say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of peace of mind. So, what should we do so that we don't live like King Saul who was afraid of his own men? What should we do so that we don't live like the religious authorities who believed in Jesus but were afraid to open their mouths? I think our prayer should be, Lord, show yourself to us. Let us see you more fully, more richly, more deeply. Be so big in our minds and our hearts that you swamp us and overwhelm us with your awesome power and presence and beauty. I think our prayer should be that God give us a holy fear so that we don't fear anything else in this world. And as we step into God's presence, as we draw closer to God, we will hear his words of assurance. Do not be afraid, for I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let us pray. Almighty God, we don't exactly understand why you saw fit to reveal yourself to us. But we thank you that you have and we thank you that you desire a relationship with us. We pray that you would show yourself to us more fully. That our vision of you and our understanding of you and our sense of you would become larger and and deeper and more complex. And I pray that as we draw near to you, as you grow larger in our minds, the fears of this life, I pray that they would grow smaller. I pray that we wouldn't be motivated by fear of people or by a need to please people. I pray that our trust would be in you, that we would do what it is that you lead us to do and trust you with the outcome. Lord, I pray that you would grow up in our hearts a confidence in you. I pray that we would rest secure in you and trust you for all the things that we need in this life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.